Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell West. And summer is not quite totally over. It's here. sunny. I didn't, I I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, 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 you're a pale underground creature, Roger. <laughs> Even I have to take vitamin D supplement tablets. This uh, uh, this month, we're going to be chatting about... Uh, well, we're going to be chatting about a very early role-playing game, or at least thing which people sold as role-playing games. Many people call this a role-playing game. And people have had fun doing it, so that's a good enough excuse to talk about it. And also about high and noble destinies and whether any of our characters ever have any. Uh, but first, Roger wanted to say something. Uh, thank you very much to Brian Parker, who's dropped some money in our tip jar. Uh, if you would oh, thank you for that. like to jo- join him, uh, paypal.me slash rogerbw will reach us. But first, Roger wanted to say another thing. The Bundle of Holding continues to be a good way to get perhaps not the very latest role-playing games, but interesting RPGs cheaply. And they, they are kind enough to uh, let us know what's going on and uh, give us copies if we want them. With that in mind, I'm going to mention Mutants, Mutants and Masterminds, which I will admit I have never played. Uh, yeah, that, that that comes up a lot. Uh, well, there are, yeah, there are many games I haven't played. Um, I, I am told that it was some of the inspiration for the fantasy age modern age system which we have we have talked about uh-huh. all the times but but it's basically a fairly straightforward d20 based system uh it does a couple of interesting things in particular um in the recent edition it has a power level which is not your character level uh, mm, but which... the power level of the series so it is basically you know your your skill adds cannot be higher than this yeah. your your great big but uh, Bernie attack cannot be higher than this, and so on. And it is suggested that this be raised over time, um, but that's for everybody at once. Mm-hmm. And me- meanwhile, the characters are encouraged to diversify. So, yeah, I'm I'm not generally a big superhero fan, uh, but I was reading through this, and it looks as if it might be a version of superheroes that I can work with. It's not trying to be. Well, champions because I think of when it, when it got started. Yeah, has a has an aim of being at least vaguely simulationist, of a totally unrealistic yes um, genre. I mean, yeah, sure, it was champions before it was hero system, but it, it's starting with you know if something goes this fast, how long does it take mm. to get there? Yeah. That kind of thing, and for superheroes, I'm not sure at all that that's the right thing to do, just just as uh, a, a more narrative system as a prep for something like Doctor Who. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm actually kind of tempted. There's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff here, uh, including the, the original Freedom City setting. It was going to be Century City, uh, which was, yeah, when, when uh, Steve was writing it, he, he had, it was basically the setting book came first. And then the mm-hmm. contract fell through, and then, then he talked to various people, and Green Road and said, yeah, sure, we'll publish your setting, but you've got to give us a, a game to go with it. So, <laughs> uh, But there's that, there are books of bad guys, um, quick summary of what's going on around the world and how superheroes get involved in it. 
a book on how to manage a superhero team game, plus examples. Yeah. Uh, it's called the time travel book, but it's basically the historical adventures book and how you can drop your modern heroes into them. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you want to run, you know, an Age of Pirates superhero game, you can do that, or you can drop your modern characters into it to visit. Um, okay. And uh, Hero High, which is the teenagers' campaign, which, well, all right, when I was a teenager, I wanted to play adults who got to do things, and now it would just feel kind of creepy to play a teenager, but yeah, this may yeah, work for yeah, people I, who aren't me. I have, I have found the same problem with that with Buffy. With monsters of the week, um, and and with other with the masks, the next generation, because it's all older people playing teenage angst, and I wasn't that interested in teenage angst when I had it. You know. Yeah, it, it it was dull. It wasn't something to be wallowed in. Maybe that's why I never oh. made a goth. Oh, the, you, you can get them dehy- pre-dehydrated first, just just a symbol in the bathtub. But anyway, uh, possibly worth a look. Okay. Both of this month's uh, burblings, uh, mass burblings, are coming out of me reading uh, one of my birthday presents from last month, uh, The Elusive Shift by John Peterson, which is the second of his books, the first being Playing at the World, which is about the uh, development of the role-playing hobby and the history of it and how it came to be. His next uh, book is going to be a trawl through uh, TSR's um, uh, uh, business records. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to skip on that one. Honestly. Oh, no, no, there is some serious dodgy dealing there, whether it's technically legal or not. Probably it mostly was technically legal, but it was certainly not um, good. It, it was technically Americanly legal, I'm fairly certain. The uh, uh, When I showed the, this book to my friend Hartley Patterson, and showed him the mention he had in it for being one of the instigators of the um, the postal campaign in Midgard. He said, ah, yes, that's the young chap who's writing a history of the hobby without talking to anybody. And he does seem to have spent his entire effort in um, delving deep into the early publications, early fanzines, early apazines. There's a lot of quotations. Mm-hmm from early alarms and excursions in here. And generally, uh, rather than asking people how they feel now and what they did then, actually looking what, at what they said then, which is interesting and embarrassing yeah. for a few people. Hartley's is certainly a name I've seen coming up occasionally when looking at early White's Dwarf. Yeah. The, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the memories this brought back to me of one of the most obscure Famous but obscure and strange games of early role-playing, and that was On Guard. It came out of Games Designers Workshop before uh, they did travel, I think just before they did travel. It, if we regard it as an RPG, it was their first RPG. 
Okay, this is one of the debatable points about it. Yeah, isn't it? we could we could definitely argue about this. Okay, that, that, for those for those younger people who may be may have been listening, you know, by accident. Uh, let let me describe on guard. It started out as a system to simulate dueling, mm-hmm. um, fencing specifically, fencing, fencing specifically, specifically. Well. Um, fighting with uh, single-handed bladed weapons in a variety of styles. It's not uh, for sport fencing, but rather duels to at least the the first blood. And uh, in the classical period of uh, swashbuckling. And then they decide to tack on a system for uh, describing the people who are dueling Providing excuses for them to do. I think that's the main and, one. Yeah, um, and generally um, building out the society in which the duelling happens, and what they have is a simulator of life at the court of the French king um, during the reign of some cardinal or other. It's not quite specified which cardinal is looking out is advising the king. Um, but but assume... many of their examples of how the rules work are Athos, Porthos, Aramis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it is about a bunch of individual young men, not a party of young men, but each individual young man uh, coming in to the great city and trying to um, trying to rise up the greasy pole of social distinction. You do that by yes, by joining a regiment. You do that by having a mistress, um, you do that by going to war occasionally when nothing else is bothering you. And uh, you you do it by doing down other people, fighting duels, and generally being a, a social um, climber of the most frightful sort. It's a game which starts out with purely randomly generated characters. Mm. So you could be the you... bastard son of a peasant. You could be the first son of a very wealthy count. The game does not care and will not give the one any advantage over the other. Yeah, and you could be you could be the bastard son of a peasant uh, with no coordination and and no swordsmanship mm-hmm. either. It, it's mere. It's possible to rise from this position with just nine livre in your pocket. But you're probably going to die. Well, no, no, you're going to probably spend a lot of time at the front uh, trying to decide whether this is a good month to be brave or not. <laughs> um, being brave and cowardly are, are purely open to you. Um, the braver you are, the more loot you get, but the less likely you are to survive it. So, you know. The braver you are, more loot, less likely to survive, and more likely to get promoted as mm. well. And the and, and And this is fun, but I have to wonder... If it was ever played face to face, it's early. Um, it's early. It feels like a, a product of early wargaming um, getting together. The fact that it, they started with the dueling system mm. and then uh, went on to well, the, the duels social are interaction. quite fun to play face to face. Yeah, they they use a pre-written orders system for for the duels. Yeah, you 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 give it. Uh, you you write out. A certain number of commands in advance, and hope that you you know enough to surrender uh, when things are getting deadly. Well, specifically, what what you write out is is a routine, which is two or three or more individual actions. Yeah. And if if you're doing, say, a kick, 
then that means you do a close kick, rest, rest, rest. I'm looking at the reference oh. card here, obviously. Um, obviously. And that, that each of those actions will be compared with the action the other character does at that same moment. Mm. So, you know, your kick might be compared with, with his slash, and that says, okay, you, you do two damage and the other guy does one to you. Yeah. Um, which is, okay, I mean, it's completely non-random. It, it obviously rewards learning the game, and there are certainly optimizations in terms of dueling mm. strategy. But it, it, it's quite fun, and it's, it's basically a thing that happens more or less in real time. And then, as, as you say, the, the arrangement that of, of seeing who's going where, when, and which of them are going to meet and which of them are going to have cause to duel each other, because you, you can't go dueling without a cause. Yeah. I mean, that would be I, a mere common yeah. thug. Well, of course. The, the, uh, yeah, I, uh, we should have mentioned, I should have mentioned at the start that, uh, the game is played by, by each player writing out, um, uh, a week's orders and then submitting. Well, that, that's the meta game. Well, that's, well, because that, the, that, the that's game, a social the game, game to me is the, is the dueling game. And then, the, then the outside layer that, that exists clearly to start with exists to put people into situations where they will duel. Is is what I think of as the meta game. Um, yeah, but 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 you see, for me, it's the other way around. Du- the dueling I was never very good at, <laughs> and uh, and and the 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 figuring out through the uh, the the gradual building up of the building up of status and um, doing things in order to crawl up up the ladder and optimizing when you leave your old regiment, the Piccadilly Musketeers. At the bottom of at the bottom of the ranks mm. with uh, rotten equipment and and poor pay, and and start crawling up towards the the better a better regiment, is it is a nice piece of judgment. But mm. as you say, the fact that you, you the social game let's not call it, not call yeah. it meta because it's no more meta than the social game as opposed to the dueling game. There's also the there's also the going to war game. And um, and that and that is sort of a step outside the normal social arrangements. Mm. You don't have much um, uh, much choice uh, about where you go and what happens unless you rise to very high rank. But you go where you're sent and you decide how on courage or or cowardice, and you hope for for good rewards. But as I was saying, the social game is done. In week-long orders, everybody submits their orders for the first week of the month, and the second week, and the third, and the fourth. And if by the end of the month you've accumulated enough points to uh, to go up to to the next uh, social level, you go up to the next social level. Yeah, the, the way I've seen this done is uh, four weeks orders at a time. So, yeah, for, for week one you will say go and do this and attempt whatever. Mm. Week two, you might say, if that succeeded, then I'll do this, otherwise I'll do the other, and so on. Yeah, that, I, that has to happen in the uh, in, in, in postal gaming. Um, you, you submit a, a month's orders at a time with possibly complicated um, if-then-else, um, depending on the results of earlier weeks. Mm-hmm. But, um, and postally is, is, the, is the way I've seen it done. I I have I did once attempt to run an evening of it disastrously um, for a games club I was temporarily involved with, um, and it's not really suited to that sort of sort of play. Mm. 
Well, pre- presumably um, you've got quite a lot of the GM or the GM's laptop takes all the orders and works out who's gone where and who has to do something about it. Yeah, well, we didn't have laptops back back then. I mm-hmm. I barely had a, I barely had a Sinclair Spectrum. Actually, I think I probably it was probably back in the days of my ZX eighty one. The uh, but 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 it it doesn't it doesn't work. It it did get computerized quite early mm-hmm. on. I've seen it run by people with uh, early laptops yeah. at a game convention. Well, once. Paul Paul Evans, who was one of the authors, and Theo Clark wrote software to automate it. And uh, not the original authors. I think that they are the British. Paul Paul uh, is one of one of the credited people. Is he? Uh, which uh, which edition are we looking at? Uh, possibly a later one. Um, but in any yeah. case, um, for for several years at games fairs, uh, they they mm. ran this in basically in the background. They they were the small furry creatures press. Yeah. Um, and you know, if, every every couple of hours, they would put up a new set of results, mm. or they would track you down and say, "Hey, you got to find a deal with somebody." <laughs> um. And, Which, if you do, yeah, and the, the game was limited, obviously, to the course of the weekend. But, but it was fun, and mm-hmm. it, and it went through uh, through it. Uh, I seem to recall the fairly cracking pace of uh, of a month, every half hour, or or even faster. And people, well, I, were... I, I did very badly in this, and I don't recall the details that well. Mm-hmm. But the the one thing about this is, um, and one thing that causes it to be role playing game like. I think is that there is no conclusion. I mean, you can die, you can get so yeah. far into debt that you're clearly never going to get out again. But there's no win state. I mean, no. you, you could be at the top of the pole this month, but that says nothing about next month. And, and P- characters die, characters, players drop out. I've, I've certainly heard and of play by, post- play by mail games that went on for years. Yeah, I don't think it's so common nowadays. But um, I think most of the role playing of it came out in the way, in the same way that role playing came out in the early diplomacy uh, variant. Uh, what's it called? Slobovia. Mm-hmm. People would uh, write reams of in-character uh, commentary and news reportage um, for the uh, for the monthly journal. At least the games I played. Were, had a month monthly ter, uh, turnaround um, on each monthly move, mm. but you would you would publish uh, what your character had been doing and make vile uh, slander against um, your enemies. There, there are still say- games of this more or less going. I was having a quick look round earlier, and one of them had some house rules on. You know, here is how you send articles in for the news sheet. And the, the the moderator will decide whether an article in in the news sheet is sufficient cause for a duel. <laughs> <laughs> there is a that that it says in the in the base rules that uh, insulting somebody is um, is um, a cause for a duel, but it doesn't actually give any game mechanics for how you insult anybody, <laughs> um, other than turning up on the uh, on the same doorstep. Courting the same woman at the same time, mm-hmm. or just being a member of an enemy regiment in my presence? How dare you? Yeah, it it is a game that you could play just by the mechanics. I mean, the the first game that really struck me in this particular way was as a more recent one, um, Arkham Horror, the board game, the the, the yeah. edition of that. 
where again you could play just by the mechanics and you could say you know i need to roll this to do that but it would be very dull Mm. and so you narrate it you say aha i I will bravely leap into the portal oh maybe not i i I believe i believe i hear hear my uh, bedtime hot milk on the the boil or in this case, you, know, you you can um, decide whether you're going to back down from a duel, and and if so, how you're going to go about it. And it's and it becomes much more fun because you are role playing. Yeah, it it doesn't need it's, a GM as written. No, it's uh, uh, John Peterson recognises it as a as a GMless as a GMless game, and in that, in some ways, it's very like uh, things like ah. Uh, a fiasco mm-hmm. um, that it's a story generating mechanism owned by all the players, uh, but in in postal games it uh, it needs a uh, it needs somebody to run the the postal part, some sort of central person. database. Yeah, and uh, I saw there have been some of the house rules of the postal campaigns I've seen over the years got extremely elaborate. Yeah. Um, the, the, there were they added a navy as well as as well uh, to go along with the army, the opportunity to put on theatrical plays, <laughs> the opportunity to run to for Parliament, and that that variant gave the Parliament the right to modify the rules, which I thought was verging on suicidal. <laughs> on I, the, I have on the game runners. It's it's uh, it's it's not a thing. Not a thing I, wa- I ever want to do. Yeah, but I've also seen thing... it done in, in different settings and different time periods and so on. So um, one thing to note that is this is very much a boys game. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. There are no you, female you, you, characters. All PCs are male and can have mistresses. I mean, there, there would be nothing to stop. Dash, dash it all. You have to have a mistress in this game. Otherwise, people will talk about you. There, there would be nothing to, to stop that being modified um, with, with, with a little flexibility, but... That's not the way it works. No, it's 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 a male fantasy uh, thing. And all right, well, let's, let's some... remember the Musketeers films had come out only a few years earlier. I actually, I've got the vague feeling that the Mus- well, there were Musketeers films before the, the, the Oliver Reed's one, the Oliver Reed, uh, Michael York, and yeah. some other people, but mostly Oliver Reed. What can I say? And, I'm biased. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say your kidneys would have, would not have survived encountering it. My liver certainly wouldn't. Uh, I, I would say though, having been reading through the rules recently, like many games of this era, it's it's kind of underspecified. I could easily see if you tried to run it GMless, there would be rules arguments, lots of it, lots of inclarities. Um, there have been new additions. I Evans brought out one within the last 10 years, and you can still buy it from the website, which we'll link. I, I haven't seen those, but I'm told they're not very different. Uh, one, one, of the yeah. thing, one of the reasons um, this has the reputation it does, I think, is that in the early 80s, when you know, D&D was exploding, yeah. it was out of print and GDW weren't reprinting it for whatever reasons. Hmm. And so it, well, it, it got a reputation as this amazing game that, that 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 this guy I know told me about, but nobody could actually play it unless they knew, you know, went to Games Fair, met the small furry creatures, did that. Yeah, uh, I, I, it is, it is fun, and lots of people had lots of fun, but it is very much not um, up to modern standards. I, I'm going to say, is this a role playing game, or is it a game that is the cause of role playing? around it 
it has RPG-like characteristics, um, mm. like the the lack of win condition. And you, you you could give it a win condition. You could say, you know, whoever's at the top after 20, 20 months. Yeah, but you never get to be the king. Mm-hmm. And it's good to be the king. Um, on the other hand, it doesn't have what one might call the universality. If if you want to say, um, I want I want to rob the gambling house, mm. there isn't there is no there is nothing in the mechanics to say how you might go about doing that. You you can only do the very specific things that the rules say you can do. Yeah. and to, I mean, all right, computer RPGs have the same problem, but. To, to me, what makes an RPG interesting is the idea that you can do something the designer didn't think of. Hmm. It's it's right uh, on the edge. Yes, um, and 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 people have um, pushed in uh, even without modifying the the rules. If you have a GM, people have put in actions which are clearly in the spirit of the game and in the spirit of the setting. Yeah, um, and just and it's just been winged. All right, my my second question then is, if you were to take this idea, this setting and set of possible adventures of things to do, you this is a world of uh, of privilege um, and, and political power, and you are people climbing up the the greasy pole. Um, if you took the but with terrible, immense amounts of French style. Hmm. Um, if you took this idea now and what the old game has done, how would you recreate it? Because I keep coming back to the conviction that this is um, perhaps uh, 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 a thing that we could do now and do better. Well, I wouldn't start from here exactly, but I would start from GURPS Swashbucklers. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on, swashbuckler. The, the the thing about hang on the thing about um, swashbucklers is that it is a game of uh, all for one and one for all, whereas on guard is a game of, of all for one and the one is me. Oh, so, so, so you're saying you want a social climbing game, not a role playing game? Is it incompat? Are the two incompatible? Ooh. <sighs> For a role-playing game where everybody is sitting face to face around a table, I think they, I think they are, because a lot of the things one's doing there will be explaining mm. one's cunning plot to the GM. Yeah, um, I, I've heard of what one might call slow-form RPGs that do this, where you know the characters aren't part of a party; they they are each out for mm. themselves. And most of their interactions are player to GM, and then occasionally there's there's a public information post about here is what everybody else knows about what's been going on, mm. um, which is still an RPG certainly, it's it, but not quite a conventional form. I, I look at I look at something like uh, Good Society, is that what it was mm-hmm. called? The 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 Austin based game, and in as much as I understand it at all, which probably isn't very much. Mm. Um, it seems to me that there you have groups of people who know each other, but who aren't part of a party, aren't part of a unified purpose, yeah. and are doing are doing things in each other's circles. Well, but, they, they uh, most have individual goals. Yeah, and 
largely those goals are not necessarily incompatible with each other. I mean, some of them will be, but mm. they, they are mostly some... personal things rather than, you know, marry this specific person. Um, and uh, prove prove that my father did not disgrace himself um, and all that sort of, yes. It, it, yeah. you're, you're not uh, necessarily going to be competing with another PC to achieve that, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. I was thinking that uh, maybe something like Fiasco might work. Um, I don't know quite how. Fiasco is definitely a role-playing game. It's definitely not cooperative role-playing game, mm. except temporarily, which is very much in the uh, in the in the um, mode, in the mode of of on guard. I think um, from the the point of view of the the fun that was had last time most of the fun was in the postal gaming <laughs> and not uh, and very little bit face to face so i'm i'm fairly sure i wouldn't go with a conventional full i don't know i think one could build it as a modern board game you know yeah. you, you, each of you simultaneously su- selects an action card out of your hand they you, you put them down at once you see who's going to clash with each other Oh, actually, that's that's not bad. Yes, um, you would probably have to get rid of the delightful um, uh, son of a marquis versus the bastard son of a peasant um, bit, uh, but mm, bring some sort of initial game balance into it, and, but, and possibly some sort of randomised NPC system. Hmm. Actually, if you're going to do a board game, you probably want to do some sort of legacy um, between sessions set up. Can can we call it a campaign game instead? Okay, okay, (laughs) I don't don't want to go tearing things apart, but I'm quite quite happy to maintain state, but from one game to another. Okay, fair enough. Say one game is the season. Yeah. Uh, what a game! It, uh, I think a game being a year or maybe or two might might work uh, might work be- might work better. Mm. Um, you each spend the, the the characters spend a year trying to um, uh, to build them build each other up. the The space of the game, the space that it takes place in, is the space of Offices and um, ranks in in regiments and uh, and number of mistresses in the in 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 Paris and that is a limited space at which you're competing for the for the the prizes mm-hmm. of I think is the uh, yeah. is the thing I think that if you've got more people if you've got varying amounts of people in each session. Then it might uh, it might even work better. You could have games going on at the at the low and impoverished level, and games going on at the highest level, which were slightly affecting each other, and each one which built on to the next. Um, it's a thought. It's I, a I thought. think some of the point of the original game, and not something one would necessarily want to retain, is the bullying. 
you know, I, they, they, hand of fate has, has given me lots of advantages, and I'm, and I'm going to use them to kick sand in your face with impunity. Yes, and, uh, and there, there are also rules for groveling to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, find somebody of higher rank than you who will allow you to hang around with him, and you get reflected glory. He probably will want something for himself out of this. <laughs> Ludicrous flattery, if nothing else. I was also tempted to, to, to think about doing something um, on this theme with rain, but rain is more is definitely a game which comes with um, uh, with the level of of group of group cooperation uh, baked into it. I don't know if a, I don't know if a clique of of young gentlemen in Paris uh, works as a unifying company. I'm well, that that is essentially how the stories work, isn't it? True. Yes, and. Uh, all for one and one for all um, is, is, is makes sense if there are enough of you to uh, reinforce each other, and and none of you are going for the same sort of thing. Uh, but, but it's not quite in the spirit of the game to hand the commission in the King's Musketeers onto your young friend, because after all, you're going to go to the church, and your friend here is already secretly secretly Earl. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, but, we, yeah. We, let's not talk about the noble ranks table, which has both an earl and a count on it, and a viscount in between them. Eh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> all right, Americans. All right, <laughs> I apologise. I'm looking at this from the other side and thinking, is there enough of a game that one could run it now um, with, a, with a bit of software support? All right, I... I I was I was writing an adventure yesterday and discovered that it had turned into a software development project on the side, but uh, that maybe that's just well. Me. That's why you're so grumpy today. <laughs> oh no, the software's working. It's just the adventure isn't. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I I think there's still a lot of ambiguity here, and and well, I want, one could write software to do it. I I I wonder how much GM involvement would there would still have to be. I, I'm feeling that that if you were going to, st- I thought, if I were going to start up something like this again, I'd start from the beginning. Uh, I am notoriously very lazy, so I probably never will. But I feel that there is a, a a new and better game to be got out of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I do miss, and I I do feel nostalgic for uh, the the days in the eighties where I I spent. Um, uh, do, uh, doing this sort of thing and uh, having and having a good time month after month and looking forward to the envelope popping through my door. Mm. Well, as I say, they, they do. All right, the the official site lists every game they know about, and they have five games listed as active, of which two have had posts in the last year, but only just. So, you would have thought that what uh, what with the global pandemic, Governor, that this would be a, a bit of the hobby. That took an upturn, but uh, apparently not. Well, I, I wonder actually whether part of the problem is that because it is a system that you can learn and that you, yeah. that you can get good at and without a whole lot of randomness in it, uh, whether the, one, one might want to say, well, yeah, an experienced player and a novice player just aren't going to have a very good time in a game together. Possibly. But a lot of the time you, you, aren't, you aren't competing against other players, you're competing against the system, mm. against uh, your ability to uh, to plot a path 
through the, uh, the the empty offices and the regiments who are in need of an ensign just now. Fair. And, uh, yeah, uh, I have fun. Um, I'm not sure anybody uh, uh, much younger than me would <laughs> because uh, it, it was a very peculiar hobby and there are other things to do now, but... I, I do feel that... Uh, well, one, one could roll this a lot faster and say, you know, write your month's orders each day mm. and then, then process them. I, I'm fairly certain that would break against uh, against people's lives very quickly. Yeah, but then you have a day that is... A, a, a game length that is only a week or something of that sort. I think I could do something there. All right. Having uh, nostalged a bit, let's move on. One of the other interesting things I found on this book, The Elusive Shift, with this has been an unsolicited semi-commercial endorsement, um, was talk about the gradual emergence of the role of the games master. And in particular, the feeling that some early games, uh, games masters had, or rather people philosophising about the role of the early games master had, that they felt that they had a duty to make the events of their campaign meaningful for the characters and the players at a personal level. That they felt they had a duty to push the events and push the players towards a satisfying and proper conclusion, a destiny, if you like. And that has never quite been, not consciously, a thing that happens in my games. I Well, I'm going put... to lean quite hard there on the indefinite article. A, mm. satisfying and proper destiny. Not necessarily the satisfying and proper destiny, which is the one I thought of in advance. Well, yeah, the 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 there there was um, at the at the start a feeling that you needed to that there was such a thing as a proper store heroic story. Mm. Still is in some people's mind that there is such a thing as a an arc of events which would form a narrative that was a proper narrative. Now, not all of them had been uh, indulging in the Joseph Campbell bollocks. Mm -hmm. Though that was certainly an influence once once that yeah. became widespread. Oh, I mean, well, it predates the Joseph Cal yes, Campbell bollocks. Yes, but it got hugely widespread after Star Wars and after Lucas talked about it a lot in places that gamers were more aware of than they had been in other stuff. Yeah, but people were already saying it that there is in my game, in my universe, such a thing as destiny and fate. And as GM, it's my job to nudge, influence, carve the path of the players 
in such a way as it creates uh, a proper meaningful narrative. No Tasha Yars here. People don't die pointlessly. And I'm going to use this to try and springboard into a discussion of those concepts of the managed um, story arc and the need for a managed story arc of destiny and fate and weird as they apply to the, the art of the GM and as they apply to games systems. Is it valid or do we make the stories out of just what happens? I've always been a, want to feel that once I set things up, it should be just what happens. But I'm wondering if I'm fooling myself, well, if I'm not, all, in all fact. All of the above. It depends on the individual game. It depends on the players. I, I don't think I have a single style that I'd use for everything. All right. What sort of, all right, what sort of story arc, do, what, what sort of circumstances do you start out with a story arc? That you know well the, the, this this adventure is about discovering the x well discovering the x is a thing that should probably happen at some point yeah but that's this adventure uh i think what they're thinking of is more this campaign this long-term overarching well story. What, what did my campaign blurb say did did i say you are going to be the heroic resistance struggling against the dark lord in which case you'd, you'd better be uh, in, in which case uh, there, there is going to be a struggle against the Dark Lord um, and, and that's what you signed up for. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I've said that this, this is epic fantasy, then epic fantasy ha- has a big final battle against the, the, against the evil one. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be working towards that and I would hope the players will be cooperating. But are you... Um, hmm. Are you nudging the players, are you nudging circumstance towards some sort of climax, towards some sort of conclusion? Do the players, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, let's not, uh, let's, let, let me not make that elementary mistake. Do the characters have any level of protection so that their destiny, their, um, their thing they have to contribute to the, to the sagas that will be written? Ah, well, they, th- this is category B um, under my list of problems, which is the dice don't cooperate. No, category uh, A is the players don't cooperate. <laughs> <laughs> Are the players easier to manage than, than the dice, or, or the other well, way around? Well, my answer to the players is get them to buy in beforehand. Tell them yes, that, you know, that this you, this is going to be working towards a big confrontation. It's that shape of story. Hmm. And if the players agree to go along with that game, then um, then, then you've got you've got them. Um, it's you, you've a, a lot of early systems were quite happy to say, "Well, we, we just have a high mortality rate." I think that has dropped over time, even yeah. as character generation has got quicker and simpler. So it is much easier with a modern game to say. I expect this to last to the big confrontation. And mm. say, you lot are the ones who have had the prophetic dream. Yeah, they're always they're buggers, prophetic dreams. Mm. And, um, and, with, and be reasonably confident that most of those PCs are probably going to make it to the end if they're at least moderately sensible. Mm. 
The how about uh, how about destiny as an individual thing? Both of us play GURPS. Uh, we may have mentioned oh, this I, once I or twice. Oh, I hate destiny tracing GURPS. What do you think it is, and why do you hate it? It's a great big divorcing of it's it's now versus later. It's it's basically say the the positive version because it's a negative version as well. The positive mm. version is basically saying you you're going to live to do this great thing, not entire, not necessarily exactly specified. Therefore, have a bunch of extra points to keep you alive. Yeah, no, no. Well, I said, therefore, spend this uh, this bunch of extra points, and I, and I will keep you alive until then. Yeah, uh, it's it's two actions of distance for me. Hmm. Yeah, you you don't feel that. Uh, yeah, I think you you'd allow the the the, the character to to own to buy the you'd allow the player to spend the points on a patron. Who would uh, perhaps do their very best to keep that character? Yeah, but, from but they dying. are immediately useful. Uh, the, the, Whereas the, the destiny is essentially saying, one day, uh, your fate is preordained. Um, assuming it's the advantageous version, you are destined for great things, um, and all you all you do as a player is say, um, "I want the fifteen point version, or I want the five point version." The GM, who who does not have too much to do already, secretly determines the nature of the destiny. Um, oh, that's complete. Yeah. Uh, and is is required to make twiddle things so that the destiny works out. Yeah. And no, no, no. I'm a, that's not the sort of game I run. Okay, do you feel there's a difference between this and uh, and say a, a hero points or uh, bennies, which you can use to um, yes, absolutely. Uh, which you, why? Because that that is just in effect hero points are saying here is how good I am normally, and here here once in a once in an occasional while. I want to be a little bit better or a little bit more lucky. Hmm. There's an argument that hit points in the D and D sense are not physical traits, but are your character's uh, story armor. Oh yeah, I mean, you could look at it that way. I mean, yes, all right. A a character is not deciding. I will spend one of my hero points now. They are in talk, but that's because they're made explicit, and it's a quite quite a weird setup to make that happen. Yeah, but a character can say this particular occasion is when I'm feeling particularly edgy and I want a bit of an extra hand. Mm. Um, so that that works for me. I mean, yes, it, it's not a thing that that your character can point at and and say, um, you know, here it is. I am strong. I mean, but but neither is true faith. So. Mm. No, I, I, I think that's a completely different sort of thing. The, the point about the Gert's destiny is is that the neither the character nor the player really knows about it, and and the um, the GM has to tweak things in return for that for that uh, chunk of points. You know, yeah. keep the character alive until everybody knows their name. The 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 fact that the GM determines the destiny in secret is is a bit bloody weird. 
um, in in that the the uh, I would have thought the fact that you are the, the the chosen one ought to come become clear to you after a while. Well, it, it is suggested if, that that the uh, character can discover something about it via divination or whatever. But, yeah, so, but how do yeah. you, you get the first clue? Where, when uh, when when the when the executioner's rifles all jam at the same moment? <laughs> well, that that, that, that orc sword was coming towards me, and then there was this sort of crack sound, and then there was this carbonized orc in front of me. <laughs> ha! Oh well, uh, it's a it's a chance in a million of freak accidents. Yes, I've had five of them this week. The the, the, the thing is, like um, weirdness magnet. Yeah. Uh, it is. It is essentially saying, in exchange for a bunch of points, the GM has to do a bunch more work. Okay. And if, if, um, if I had a more player-focused version, I would be more willing to use it. Uh, parenthetically, I, I note that I've never seen anybody volunteer to have the negative uh, version of uh, of Destiny, which has saved me um, a great deal of work and frustration. Mm. But even that, one of the reasons I never ran Celtic Myth. Is that that it's got the what's, what's the word for it the the death prophecy, mm. uh, which uh, the death gears in which you can only die if you're standing on one foot uh, with the other one covered in marmalade, uh, whilst a red-haired man is swinging a leak at you, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and so that's just too much trouble to get get a character dead. Well, the the other thing is in the stories a a situation like that is set up because we know that that's how it's going to end mm. you know that yes the character thinks aha i am invulnerable i will never go near a marmalade factory but <laughs> but, the, the, oh, but the re- i'll ban all marmalade in the kingdom i cannot die now. yeah I, I mean that that that's also biblical you know Her- herod getting the prophecy that he, he will be uh uh thrown down by by a child and therefore kills all the children it's the same thing the entire point of that class of story is to show that you can't get away from it. And I think if I if I were running a game of that sort of setting, I would want players who agreed that you can't get away from it. Yeah, that's that uh, um, strikes me as being the primary bit of confusion in the set idea that destiny has a place. That some of the authors writing in the early days were writing about every proper story needs a destiny needs um a, a worked out a, a, a foredoomed point that it's going to come to and I'm, i i i just thought this is not so this is uh confusing the uh, the the role-playing game with the novel which the author mm. wants to write which the gm wants to write well we, we we've said before um my, my contention that RPG narrative forms, interactive narrative forms have their own shapes. They yeah. don't need to copy linear fiction because there are things they can do that linear fiction can't. And conversely, there are things it's very hard for them to do. Um, and oh. prophecy foretelling is one of them because it's very, it, the, the GM cannot go back and insert a prophecy. Yeah. Um, now, there, there are a couple of approaches I quite like to this, which you, you yeah. may regard as a bit of a cop out. Go on. Reasonably, um, scattergun foreshadowing. They're, they're, yeah. Everything is foreshadowed, and you know, one in a hundred of them will actually happen. And then you can point back and say, "Look, that guy in the market." I believe Greg Stolz actually actually 
uh, recommends this in one of the uh, books about uh, rain magic. Yeah, this, this, um, this is could... also the race course tipster approach. Mm. You know, I, I, I've for each race, I, I have a bunch of envelopes, each of which has the name of one of the horses in it. But I'm, I'm giving envelopes to all the horses, and one sixth of my customers will say, "Hey, he knew which horse it was." I'll go back to him for another tip. <laughs> yeah, uh, the um, yeah, the the that that can work. Um, the uh, the tr- uh, the trouble is, yeah, the, tr- the trouble is making things seem significant. Our uh, post facto is difficult. Mm. Um, Another one is is to have um, a small number of prophecies, but explicitly competing. You know, what one of these is definitely not going to turn out to be the true prophecy. Either the king is going to be overthrown, or he's not. Yeah, well, that's and, a David Edding, Eddings approach. And, and each prophecy has its people working towards making it happen. Yeah, which. It- which turns into a time travel uh, um, a campaign without any actual time travel. You, well, no, no, got... it's, it's it's more we we have the pro king and anti king factions, but each of them has, says we have fate on our side. Mm. The uh, as talking of fate, I would think that the e the the, the best way to uh, to do a a destiny thing is to use it. Is as a fate, as a fate trait, um, as something this character has and can draw on sometimes, and it works better sometimes than others. Um, and you, uh, um, and it's also there in Robin Laws explaining how not to take the uh, the players' suggestions about their character traits seriously in quest worlds. That you, you, uh, he may say, I am the greatest swords. I want my character to be the greatest swordsman in all France. But you are, uh, but the GM just writes down uh, a, 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 a number numerical rating for him, despite the fact that he is convinced that he is the greatest swordsman in all France. Okay, you, you have sword 10 and delusion, greatest swordsman in all France, <laughs> possibly. I think you have Sword 21 and ignorance of the fact that there may be a better one out there somewhere. <laughs> uh, I find the idea of Destiny an interesting one. The, there's been, um, there's been a, a change in people's reaction to it from out, out, out and out. We, I am, the, I am destined. I have a great thing I am going to do. Not many people want to play Alexander the Great, hmm. um, in my experience. To um, I am Buffy Summers. I do not get to have a normal life, but I am the chosen one. I, th- I think, and, in terms of a destiny, it, it, it would be reasonable to say, well, to, to have as, as a as a universe rule, um, there are going to be things pushing you towards it, hmm. but it is a push. It is not an absolute. If if you choose to fight against it that is not we're not going to play this it's going to be a constant pressure on you i mm. think that could work okay in that case it works like uh it works like the human contacts people have in knights black agents um that if you try and um it hurts you if you don't have those contacts but if you do have those contacts, you you are vulnerable 
and if you if you don't follow your destiny, uh, the universe will be out to get you. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily in a major way, but you know, if if, if the um, you you are supposed to be the the hero who overthrows the uh, ruling tyrant, then you are going to keep running. However much you try to have a quiet life, you're going to keep running up against the evils of the tyrant. In in small convenient ways that you can overcome to be a figurehead for the resistance, and uh, and, and people who will who will, who will appeal to you and say, "Will you not lead us? Will you not come and join us?" Yeah, it, it's an excuse for wringing people's heartstrings. Yeah, but also, um, I mean, this is a role playing game. We want the choices to be meaningful. If you want to say, "No, no, I'm not going to do it this way," that should be a valid thing for a player to say. And, yeah. and there should be an interesting response to that. And th- th- this is an extension of the idea about um, you don't make a role unless you're prepared for either result, success or failure. You don't you don't give a false choice. Hmm. If you don't have a choice, then then you say, "Well, this is what the campaign is about," and get the players to agree beforehand. You, know, you are going to be the leaders of the revolution. If you want to give them a choice, then you should be able to should be prepared for them to say, "No, I'm not going to be." Uh, in in a Celtic myth setting, yeah, I that's an example of player buy-in because immense player buy-in because the when when you're trying to trying to evade it, the point of the story is that you can't evade it, so it will find you. So I th- I think as a player. If I keep trying a thing and I constantly fail, I'm going to get frustrated. If if I've agreed with the GM that this is a thing I'm going to fail at, then I'm a lot happier. Does anybody do that? I wonder. Well, if if I if I were playing a, a Celtic myth sort of game, I think that's the way it would have to work. Yeah. You know, yes, I am going to die of this. I trust the GM not not to throw um, a, a a badger in a cauldron at me in the first adventure. But sooner or later, I'm going to meet a badger in a quarter, and that's going to be the end of my legend. <laughs> mm. The this the, the the this is a return to the issue of agency again, which we come back mm. to again and again. And it strikes me that it's also part of the background and the mythos of um, time travel stories. That the two types of time travel stories, the ones where you can change things and ones that where you can't. Mm. They, they they fall too easily into wish stories, all wish stories about why humans shouldn't be given wishes. Yes, this is true. Um the yeah, the the I've never seen yet a successful um you can't change the past role playing scenario always the the i've never tried writing one and i've never tried and i've never read one always the thing is that you can change the past and in the majority of cases it's going to be worse than the the present the 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 producer present worse than the one you started with Mm -hmm. seems to be seems to be the moral which yeah go on uh, but uh, but there ought to be the possibility of. Do- uh, I'm not quite sure how Doctor Who, the Adventures in Time and Space, handles this. But there ought to be <laughs> badly, um, differently at different ignore- times, just like the show. All right, fine. Um, 
that there ought to be a way to do the fixed point in time. You can do nothing to change this moment, except it goes entirely against the ethos of role-playing games to have those. I can tell you what, one specific example of a published campaign setting that does this, uh, yeah. which was Time Riders, which is a Rollmaster Space Master um, campaign setting I, in the early 90s, uh, written by Earl Wagenberg, based on the campaign that he had been running for some years. And that is quite specifically, of that, that particular setting, uh, is you cannot change time. If you know, yeah, it's, not, it's not just it's difficult, it, it, it is absolutely fixed. Yeah. The things you know about, the things that anybody knows about. So how do you have adventures if it's, if it's always going to be that way? In the gaps. You just... Hmm. So, you know, we, 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 know, we know that we saw this guy get shot, but mm-hmm. we don't know that somebody didn't, didn't sneak in and replace his uh, fresh corpse with a duplicate before it had time to finish dying. Yeah, um, there's, uh, but, but a real fixed point in time is your own death, is having to be there for it if you know about it in advance. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that in a role-playing game, and I doubt if I ever will, um, except for NPCs. What was the pace setter one? Long Time Master? Yes, that, that, that had that. Um, there, there were two steps to the pace setter one. Um, because there was the the basic book, which was which was your pretty much standard thing, and then there was time tricks, which was basically okay. So you've decided to go wholehearted about being in a time travel game. You don't just wanted to to use the time machine to get to where the adventure is, right? Now we're going to do the time loops and the manipulations and all that weird shit. And that that was a whole separate step of the game from the basic stuff and the stuff the adventures were published for. Yeah. And again, there, there, there were a small number of players who got very enthusiastic about this. I, I was hanging around on the fridge with them on a, on a mailing list for a while. Uh, and that, that gets a whole lot more... Um, Weird and complicated? Yeah, and the campaign becomes about time travel rather than about, you know, let's go and visit First World War Land and have an adventure. I was going to say, if you're going to... Yeah, I think the thing that Destiny would give you, if you could work it properly into a game, is the moment of high purpose for uh, a character to actually say, yes, I will do this thing. I I can um, lead uh, my country to victory, and I don't much care if I die in the process. Mm-hmm. I've got to. I have got to do this thing. Um, and I am the person to do this thing must be done. I'm the person to do it. And, um, and despite any inadequacies I may feel, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it done. Yeah. So that's, but that's very different from most role playing games where you, you stumble towards adventures and any triumph you have rolls on the dice. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, it is important to essentially dis- decide how narrative your world is. Mm. Because if if you have something like your classic gaming setting where 
anybody can fumble the next die roll at any time. Yeah. Then any any feelings you have about destiny are in essence an illusion. Uh, the mm. more you have the ability to say, right, fate is actually smiling on you to some extent, the more mm. that something like that becomes a something that might actually exist within the world. All of the all of the uh, all of this debate in uh, in the book I've been talking about the elusive shift is um, is tight. All right, all right. I'll I'll, I'll lend, lend you my copy um, <laughs> when I see you next. The um, is tied in with the debates about fudging dice to make things come out the way you want them to, mm-hmm. and about whether the players get to roll the dice at all. Or the GM just, um, or the GM just rolls everything and tells the players what he wants them to know. Well, I, I could sort of make it make three stages of GM here. Um, you know, yeah. Starting off as the GM is the opposition. You know, we, we've we've got Roger's dungeon. We're going to try to beat it, and that that yeah. requires the GM to be scrupulously fair. Um, and that that's the school of GMing that says, you know, you you will roll the dice out in the open where the players can see them. Well, the, this is my preference, and always has been. Yeah. And then the the second stage of this is the GM is the neutral arbiter. Uh, a, a lot of GTW games call the GM the referee. Yeah. Um, which is similarly expecting the GM to be scrupulously fair, but without the sense of opposition. You know, the, mm. the GM will set will set up the opposition, and then it's up to the players how how they're going to engage with it. And then I think the third step you might call the storyteller. Which is the GM has some idea of an overall plot and is going to try to guide things towards that. Yeah, with, with should... a light or a heavy hand. Mm, the uh, I think most of the guidance when I do give guidance is in the sort of of encounters along the way that I throw at them the things that teach them about the world and show them the stuff that's really going on mm. it is should be a robust enough series of uh, of encounters and events that leads them to discover things and leads them to make up their minds how they feel about what's really going on i think that and the storyteller's way of doing things is an acceptable way of making a destiny for the campaign. I think a crucial thing you, you've said there is that it's in character, that this is things that characters are meeting to cause them to mm. think that maybe they, they have a destiny, as opposed to the word destiny written on the character sheet. True. I would also say that uh, one of the things that the book makes clear is that the stage at which the, uh, the the referee keeps the rules to themselves and rolls all the dice themselves is actually the proto state of the hobby, because that's what the uh, what was called free Kriegspiel mm-hmm. did um, back in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. They uh, it, it it said. Uh, you are the, the the commanding officers of of this force, and you get to make the decisions. But the GM will tell you what you know and what the results of your decisions are, yeah. and you don't get to know how or why that works out. And particularly in so, that sort of context, there is there is a large gap between the decision the commanding general makes and 
whether that particular unit of men moves at the right place at the right time, because there are a whole bunch of people in between who could screw up the orders or change their minds or yeah. whatever. So it's quite reasonable to have a fairly opaque system. I, th- I think mm. when you get down to the individual stages, players are more resistant to saying, well, you know, I've decided to hit him with a sword. Either I hit him or not. I should know how likely that is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that, that, I, I agree. The, the person the person who swings the sword uh, may suddenly may say, aha, I got him there. Look, a 19. And when the, uh, when the uh, GM says, yeah, strange that, his, his fur is not in the slightest bit dented. Then that's fair enough because it's giving them information of a different kind. Hmm. But I, I, I've done similar things when I've been running naval war games um, hmm. because the war gaming rules I use, uh, harpoon, cover an awful lot of things, but there are things they don't cover. And at some point, I'm just going to say, "Okay, how likely is this to work?" Roll a d6. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, on the whole, I. Uh, I, I think there are traces of this early idea of destiny in the uh, modern hobby. I think it's mostly in the storytelling bits mm. of it, but that's where it started out. I think this starts out with people saying, yes, we are simulating the great sagas, and in order to do that, we need this thing. We want to live through this, this first encounter. Well, yeah. Uh, well, the the players will live through the encounter. Do, do the characters need to live through the encounter? Is always the question. But but yeah, the the idea of destiny is still uh, is still part of the of the hobby, but it, it exists at the campaign level, not at the individual character level, mm. and at the storytelling part of the GM's function. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm currently running um, the Two-Headed Serpent Pulp Cthulhu campaign. Yeah. And, I mean, if the players are determined to get their characters killed, I'm not going to prevent it. But the basic approach we're taking, and I think we're all assuming this is what's going to happen, is, is that they will have at least some survivors to the end. Because otherwise we don't get to use the end. Well, Pulp Cthulhu is uh, is a lot friendlier yes. than uh, standard, standard Cthulhu. It has things like... Luck, which is mm-hmm. we we have already had one one instance of spend all your luck to survive. <laughs> well, it happens, and, and one instance uh, of oh dear, I don't have that much luck left. Requiescate in pace ultima, we may hope. Well, in, in t- requiescate in high energy particles mostly, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I don't think that we've we've sorted out anything very clear here, but it was was a thing I wanted to talk about. Improvise radio theatre with dice. Look at your role playing questions and making them harder. Thank you. Since where, how long have we been doing this now? Uh, this oh, is episode one hundred and six. Good grief! It'll be ten years soon. Panic! 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 We didn't do anything very distinguished for episode one hundred, so we probably won't do anything for. The 10 year anniversary, either. It is not our destiny. If you want to tell us what your destiny is and why you're avoiding marmalade, 
then you can contact us. Leave a message on the website or email podcast at tekeli.ly. And next month, we'll be back with more highfalutin nonsense.